1: Take the baseline out. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Yeah, go.
0: uh-huh. Yeah. Go. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Hardwood Knox Podcast. I am Dan Favalli, coming at you with my co-host Andy Bailey. Before we get started, we would like to remind you to please subscribe, rate, and leave us a review on iTunes or Stitcher or Blog Talk Radio. You could find us all over the place. Follow the Hardwood Knox official Twitter account at Hardwood Knox. You can also follow Andy at Andrew D. Bailey, and I am at Dan Favale, F-A-V-A-L-E. We always appreciate it when someone subscribes, rates us, or leaves us a review. So if you would like to be in our good graces for all of eternity, please do that right away. Today, we are going to be talking about teams that should probably consider either leaning into their tent. I never planned on losing my job, but we all know life can change in an instant. And losing my family's health insurance was an even tougher pill to
1: swallow. So I looked into Cobra, but too pricey. Then I found out I could enroll through Covered California, where I was able to choose from good health insurance companies I've actually heard of. I even got help paying for it.
0: There's a limited time to qualify after losing your insurance, so check out coveredca.com today. Covered California it's more than just healthcare; it's life care. Tank, full out tanking, or just becoming sellers at this point. We know it's still early, but a lot of stuff has happened. Cough, Rudy Gobert injury. Cough. That might make Andy um, sad. So this is this is. I'm exciting. already sad. I, I can already feel the hot takes just <laughs> leaking, out, seeping out of my pores. How about you?
1: I'm already sad. First of all. Um Yeah, the the Rudy Gobert injury is rough. I'm sure you saw me venting about it for that day. I think it was the day that they announced he was going to be out four to six weeks. I kind of lost my mind on Twitter for a little bit. I had to post some video. I had to endure the wrath of Heat Twitter for a couple of days. Um,
0: Did Heat Twitter only show up like, I don't know, like an hour and a half into your rant like they do with their games?
1: (laughs) No, they were were much more... um, uh punctual i couldn't think of the word there <laughs> they were much more punctual to attack me on twitter than they were on their uh, attendance at heat games which is interesting well don't mess uh, with
0: deon waiters that's just
1: yeah that's he's uh apparently already achieved hero status in miami but the reality of the situation like you said is go bears out um bone bruise in his knee it seems like they're kind of playing this with an abundance of caution like I, I'm not a doctor, obviously. Um, Whoa! But I'm <laughs> I'm not used to a four to six week timeline on a bone bruise, and I should probably go back and like research that a little bit before I say it. So make make a blanket statement about it, but it seems like they're being cautious, which is understandable. Gobert's had knee problems in the past. He's a he's a seven foot two uh, big guy who's you know his knees are susceptible to getting hit by shorter players, so that all makes sense, but. Utah, um, with the exception of a game against the Nets, which was against the Nets in Utah, it's, it's been really rough over the last few games, even before Gobert went down and without him, uh, it's really hard to see a path to the playoffs for this team. So this is an interesting jumping off point, of course, um, I think Utah was understandably kind of optimistic coming into this season despite losing Hayward and George Hale. I, I think they still projected to have a great defense, and they probably still will uh, over the course of the season, but their offense is, it is painfully bad, um, and, and so much so that we've even gotten to the point here on the podcast where we're talking about them maybe being a seller. Are, are you at that point yet? I'm not, I, I honestly don't know <laughs> where I would fall down on this line.
0: I mean, as the president of the Luka Doncic fan club, I kind of thought you were there. Uh, I'm, I'm there, but like before, we kind of get into it. I'm wondering if the Jazz are now in a mode where they want to see whether they should sell because, like you said, the bone bruise, depending on how serious it is, six weeks seems stark. And is this a wait and see situation? They'll come back in six weeks, see where they're at, and if they're, you know, they should be selling then Maybe they start selling. You see that. Rudy Gobert takes a little bit longer to come back. And um, the Jazz, you know, Joe Johnson, let's take his wrist injury. Like, he was supposed to come back, and all of a sudden we get an announcement. He'll be reevaluated in two weeks. So maybe it's a situation like that with Rudy. where in four to six weeks. It's he'll be reevaluated in two weeks. And I don't know that they would shut him down if they went to sellers mode. I would actually argue vehemently against them doing that because I think it's always weird when you tell healthy players to stop playing, and we know how competitive Rudy Gobert is. The other thing is, I don't necessarily know that the Jazz need to shut him down to really be good sellers and and tank for a good draft pick because the offense has been awful even when he's on the floor. They're scoring under 95 points per 100 possessions. And so, I I mean, if you're going to sell off some of your other players, that's not exactly going to get better. So I'm almost wondering, do you think that the Jazz are kind of now monitoring this situation like that? Because six weeks— is a long time. How many games is that going to end up being for them? You were the one that was just talking about their December schedule before we kind of hopped on the horn. And and so if you have him missing, let's say, conservatively, what do we want to say, 15 games? 15, yeah. They're going to go 3-12 and 12 in that stretch probably? And it u- could,
1: Yeah, it could be ugly.
0: So do you think that that might be where – that they're being extra cautious with Gobert not only to be – extra cautious with Gobert but to also see where this team is at after an extended period of time after an after a, a hellish November December schedule or whatever.
1: Yeah, that actually that probably makes more sense. Just sort of use this time that he's out as an evaluation period and maybe like you said if if it's really bad when he's ready to go back, come back, maybe you say, "Well, take him an, take another 2 weeks." Um take another we'll 2 weeks. <laughs> But I agree with you. It's it's hard to um, it's hard to shut somebody down who's healthy, especially somebody as as competitive as Rudy Gobert. I mean, he was on the Woj pod today talking about how, his dreams of winning a gold medal over Team USA and winning an NBA championship, regardless of whether or not Gordon Hayward is on the team. And he's just he's always sounds like that kind of a competitive personality. So you probably couldn't talk him into that. Although a lot of Jazz fans, like the moment it was announced that he was going to be out talked about this is our david robinson tim duncan year um so i don't (laughs) i don't think we're gonna get that um but maybe you can trend towards moving your pickup by selling off some players but the the other problem with the jazz right now is i don't i don't know how many great trade assets they have i i could see maybe a contender wanting joe johnson uh, down the stretch run, but I don't really know if that helps you in draft position. Um, Derek Favors is on an expiring contract; maybe he's movable for that reason. I think Ricky Rubio, any trade value he has, is effectively God. squashed through these first fourteen games, um, which is crazy because just like two weeks ago, we talked about his hot start, and I think both of us were lukewarm on on that maybe continuing, but he's just looked yeah. dreadful. The last few days. So I don't, I mean, do you see anybody on that roster that looks like a, a a legitimate trade chip?
0: You know where I'm going with this, right? Well, let's hear it. Joe Ingles. I would never yeah. want to see them trade Joe Ingles. <laughs> and I know he's on his four-year $50 million deal it. Was it. was a 52. I always get his uh mixed up. I So I, that's expensive, but it's a declining salary. He gets paid $10.9 million in year four. He's a guy who's basically going to defend at every other position other than center. You have to convince him to shoot, but he's okay at running and passing out of pick and rolls, and he can shoot when he does shoot. Uh, He's he's a great three-point marksman. He would be spectacular on a contender, and I don't—the caveat here is who comes to mind— and what would you want for him? Are you just willing to take a pick if you can get one for Joe Ingles, and then you'll eat like some expiring contracts if you get a pick with that, or are you looking to get like real live value out of him? Uh, that, so that, you're also
1: going to get riots on the streets of Salt Lake if they trade well, Joe. one
0: Ingles. I, Joe Ingles is. I want Joe Ingles on my team. So if I'm running an NBA
1: oh, team, there's your there's the motivation right there.
0: Right, so I, there's him. Um, I guess where their value might lie is that they don't— I think you look at this roster, and even Rodney Hood, because he's entering the last year of his contract, even if you have a believer in I, him, I don't know who's—no one's going to give up a first-round pick Yeah, for him.
1: I was going to say, he's an interesting one that's maybe movable, but yeah, I, I would probably agree with you that he, he's not going to net you a first-rounder.
0: Like I don't even know if he helps you lop off Alec Burks' contract at this point just because you have to pay him their yeah. their their best approach might actually be to flip some of these shorter term non-guaranteed contracts or their expiring deals the same thing. And, and take back a, a longer term unwanted deal that's going to come accompanied with picks and i'm assuming you would do this and th- this has been like bandied about multiple times the lakers have to get rid of Lou Aldang. And if they're willing to, I know a lot of people say no, you don't include Kyle Kuzma, you don't include ben, Brandon Ingram as the sweetener. I tend to agree. I would not do it if I was if I were them. But if you want the dual max contract slots this summer, it and that's where you're headed. You almost kind of have to move him this season, do you not? Because doesn't it become a little bit harder to make sure that you're not taking any money back for 2018-2019? Uh, if you're looking to move him over the summer, yes, you have more teams with cap space, but are you going to have as many teams with the $17 million in room or whatever it's going to take to really get rid of Lual Deng so they'll send you nothing back in return? I understand waiting makes sense f- from the standpoint of why give up Ingram or Kuzma if we don't know that LeBron and or Paul George is coming. So I get that with it. I wouldn't, and even if you told me LeBron was coming to Los Angeles or that the Lakers thought they had like a 50-50 chance. I, I don't want to move these guys. I'm against moving these high-end prospects just to get rid of salary that and, and gain cap space that you don't necessarily know is going to translate to anyone. But if you're the Jazz, would you see an opportunity there? Do you take on? Would you swallow that money? knowing? Let's say this year's a lost year, so then you're left with two years of Luol Deng, but you've just traded— Derek Favors and Joe Johnson or Derek Favors and Jonas Jerebko's non guaranteed deal or Tabo Cephalosha or whoever and you've gotten back Dang and Brandon Ingram or Kuzma, is that a point that you would be willing to explore?
1: Maybe if it maybe if one of those prospects was attached, um Well There's yeah. there's value in itself of having the flexibility of of those guys coming off the books, like Favors and Jarebko and Cephalosha, but man, even with Ingram or Kuzma, that Luol Deng contract would be rough to swallow.
0: For the Jazz specifically, I guess too, because they would have Danes on trying to compete semi soon. It'd be different for a team like the Suns to go Greg Monroe for Dang and yeah. Ingram or a pick or something. I, like I, if I guess Gobert's healthy
1: and and um, well, you get like one other meaningful addition this summer. That yeah, the Jazz are, are ready to like compete for the eighth seed again.
0: Right, here's my thing though. What if couldn't Luol Dang technically help the Jazz? They don't play particularly I don't know. Fast. I haven't
1: I haven't seen him play in like two years.
0: Okay, well that's also fair. But he, I, <laughs> I I get but like if there was maybe they're a good defensive team already. You could have him defend some fours. They play at super slow speed so he's not gonna be exerting himself too hard on the offensive end. We saw that he could be okay. Again, he's two years removed from that run in Miami, but I guess even with that, uh, even in the unlikely event, the Lakers were willing to trade one of their A-lister prospects. You're not to that point with the Jazz where you're willing to become that type of salary dumping ground?
1: I don't, man, I don't know. Um, I love when I
0: make you think. (laughs)
1: because I just don't know how high I am on Kuzma and Ingram. And I think that would obviously depend on how the jazz feel about that.
0: I'm super high on Ingram. It's just not even I just
1: I can't decide on him. I'm it's like very hot and cold with me. Some days I'll watch him and I think, man, that length and he's he's really smooth. I I still see some path to being a really good player and then other days it's just like, whoa, how how are you still
0: playing like this? I the his like accuracy sometimes bothers me, but you use the perfect words. That's kind of it. Just looks yeah. like he. It looks like he gets to whatever spot he basically wants to get to, but he doesn't necessarily know what's a high percentage shot and what's not. And he's not sure how to like release or or use. You his use the good points.
1: word too with uh, accuracy because sometimes he'll get to those points he wants to get to and then like shoot a missile off the side of the backboard. Right. And I'm like, <laughs> how did those two things happen simultaneously? Uh, or not simultaneously one after the other, but you, you understood me.
0: Um, yeah, for sure,
1: man. So I don't, I don't know if we've resolved anything with this conversation about the jazz. Um, I would say I'm sure they're thinking about selling. I just don't know what they have to sell.
0: Are you for or against them selling? And I, I, the two scenarios are basically they're lined out for us. You could, if
1: I was, if I was forced to choose right now, I'd probably say four.
0: I think I'm there with you too. And it's – again, it's a tricky situation because it might just be a matter of, well, we have these non-guarantees. We have these expiring deals. Uh, we should kind of just let them come off, and that's our version of selling. Yeah. Um, and yet, at, at, like, I, it's either do we use them to acquire picks and try and build for the future that way? That might be a little bit more riskier, or are you hoping – I mean, if we're looking at really authentically selling – like it's do we have a way of getting Alec Burks off the books, or are we willing to move on from Ingles because we're still – we want to compete, but we're going to try and get a little bit younger moving forward, And I guess. Or do we have a way of getting Rubio off the books, obviously, which you, you have to include sweeteners for him and Burks, which isn't really what a seller um, yeah. should do.
1: Well, first of all, I'm never moving on from Joe Ingles.
0: That's – again, uh. that's, I, I, that's <laughs> totally fine, and I, he helped you if you want to be good – so then it really – then it's just because knowing that you probably have to give up something to get rid of Rubio or Burks, it's a matter of are, can you find that if there's a team that's trying to make sure they have cap space this summer and they're willing to give up a first-round pick with a contract and, that maybe leaks into you know next season and maybe even 2019, 2020. That I means-
1: should add, too, that Utah's done that before. They took on the Beatriz contract for Golden State, so it's there's some precedent there.
0: And I, I, I guess saying. I'd be for them doing something like that. Because I'm so high on Ingram, if the Lakers came calling with that offer, I, I would absolutely do that if I were the Jazz. But I see the danger in it because you already have that cornerstone in Rubio. It's not like you're a Pacers or Nets team or, or Suns team that's doing that. And then the super tricky thing here is there aren't necessarily other contracts that could be construed as even slightly like desirable or not gut-wrenching for the Jazz to kind of absorb like if the Bucks were looking to get off some money, they don't have picks to give up anymore. Yeah. Um. So unless you're getting at like DJ Wilson or Don Maker as as part of like a dump for Vadova or uh, Henson or Teletovich, I don't think they'd include that big of a sweetener for Teletovich because he only has one year after this deal. So so that's another interesting um point to it. If you're not going to take one of the really really bad deals. There's not, there's like, there doesn't seem to be, and I don't know if one springs to mind for you, like there's no middle ground. There's not a team that has a contract that's kind of whatever they don't want, um, but it's not super long-term and it's not completely dead weight.
1: Yeah, I can't think of one. Um, the dang one is kind of interesting to me. I, there's still a part of me that thinks maybe the best course of action is to just let these contracts expire and try again next summer and see what kind of a draft pick you get, but... Um, I will say they should at least be thinking about selling. I, I wanted, uh, we've mentioned, uh, Ricky Rubio's trade value a couple of times.
0: Uh-huh.
1: He scored 30 points on November 1st against the Blazers in a win Utah. He's, he's had six games since then. These numbers are alarming. And I think we did the sustainability pod right after his 30 point game. If I remember correctly, um, since that game, he's averaging 8.5 points, 4.3 assists, 2.3 rebounds. Now here comes the fun part. 25% from the field and 4.3% from three.
0: <laughs> Wait, do you remember when we both kind of said that his shooting was sustainable too? <laughs> or at least I did, maybe you did think i'd I think
1: I, I, I'm pretty sure I was there too.
0: That I think that was really one of bad. my
1: 15 tepid yeses during that.
0: People have already podcast. abandoned this podcast episode after <laughs> admitting to that.
1: Wow, that's—I mean—that's about as hard and fast a regression to the mean as you can have. Um, that poor guy.
0: <laughs> I mean, maybe it pops back up.
1: Yeah, it could. Here's another reason for them to sell and maybe kind of embrace a semi-tank: is just start playing Donovan Mitchell a lot of those Ricky Rubio minutes. Um, see what you have in, at at as. So with him as a point guard. Would
0: you like to, I'm gonna counter that with something? Do you want to know what there's two their two most used lineups without Rudy Gobert have each logged thirteen minutes? One of them How many? Thirteen total minutes. Oh That's my god. Two of their most used. Um one of them is Alec Burks, Joe Johnson, Donovan Mitchell, Tabo Sephalosha, Epke Ude. And that lineup has an offensive rating of over 13 minutes of 127.6 and a defensive rating of 75.3. So their net rating is 52.3 points per 100 possessions through 13 minutes. It'd be I'm funny to see it. Joe Johnson get healthy. You just run out like that combination. The Jazz just start winning. And ironically enough, the other one features – it's basically – it's Favors, Hood, Rubio, Cephalosha, Udo. Uh, ugh, I can't pronounce his name. And so – and they're a outscoring opponents by 10.3 points per 100 possessions with a Favors cl- and Udo? Yeah, with uh they're only because their offense is terrible, 96.7, but the defense is 86.3 points they're coughing I'm Telling up.
1: you by the end of the year any any lineup that has Udo in it is going to have a crazy defensive rating.
0: Here's a lineup. I, would, I had
1: no idea how good he would be on defense.
0: And here's another lineup. There's actually a third one that's logged 13 minutes without Gobert. Favors Hood, Joe Angles, Rubio, and Cephalosha. That lineup is getting absolutely slaughtered. Minus 47.8 points per 100 possessions. I would be interested to see that exact lineup with Mitchell instead of uh, Rubio in there, if that's what you're kind of talking about. I'm I'm
1: excited to see any lineup with Mitchell instead of Rubio right now. The one I really really want to see is, and maybe. Maybe it's the exact one you just laid out, um, Mitchell, Hood, Ingles, Cephalosha, and Favors.
0: Yeah, um, I can I think, pro- probably look at. Let's look that up. Right I don't here. think
1: it's played any minutes this season, but those are the five guys who've kind of been the best players so far this season for the Jazz. So I, I would be interested to see what want, they look like actually playing together. They've
0: played four minutes together, and okay. they. Well, I thought. Have a net rating of 29.5 points per 100 possessions with offensive and defensive ratings that would rank first in the league. That's that four minute sample size. That's enough to kind of roll with it.
1: (laughs) Four minutes is all I need. And
0: here's the convenience, though, of playing out West and to probably put a bow on the Jazz. They're difficult to be in a seller's position. I think now, and this is probably where we're at if we need to kind of create this distinction for the listeners. The Jazz should probably just be listening to deals where if they can get a first-round pick in return for giving up their expiring contracts and taking on a salary that spans through next season, you might as well just consider it to have that extra asset in the chamber. But the value for them might be because they're in the Western Conference, you're going to fall deep enough outside this race. By the time Gobert comes back in six weeks or maybe you stretch it to eight or nine, uh, you don't necessarily need to bench him to Get a high draft pick. Like he's going to add some wins, but That's he can't. Hit, he can't anchor an offense for you. And Donovan Mitchell, even if he's playing well, will hit a rookie raw event, a rookie wall. Excuse me. Eventually, that might be their saving grace. And and again, it's you could revise the situation when Gobert comes back. Maybe they pull out a bunch of these victories uh, and they find a model to win. Maybe Rubio gets going again, or maybe they get more to Donovan Mitchell. Maybe Rodney Hood turns a corner. Who knows? But I'm all for them kind of just being open to selling with a, a really discernible slant toward if the opportunity presents itself or so maybe even if people want uh, you know s- some of these guys I- I'm not making Joe Ingles untouchable talking from a basketball perspective I know that's high treason just at, <laughs> from a moralistic standpoint but it I'm, is uh,
1: high treason and I'm judge, jury and executioner on that so right. that's tough so. luck for you that all I know is in a couple years the Donovan Mitchell Dante Exum Joe Ingles Luka Doncic Rudy Gobert starting lineup is going to be amazing um should we move on to the hornets
0: yeah let's roll with them they're they're very interesting um, so
1: you actually i'll let you start on this one because this was uh the hornets were a suggestion of you as as an option as a seller
0: so we're recording this on the day that nicholas batum is going to return and he's going to help with a lot of the stuff that's plagued them. Someone was in my mentions really pissed off because I didn't give Malik Monk enough credit for like his four game like hot streak where it looked like he might be able to lead the offense by himself, but the Hornets struggle to manufacture offense without Kemba Walker on the floor. Like this isn't groundbreaking stuff. It's you watch them and you see they it
1: struggle mightily, yeah.
0: <laughs> and Malik Monk is not the answer right now, and Jeremy Lamb even though he's able to run some pick and roll is not the answer, nor do I think he'll ever really be the the answer. And Nicholas Batum should be the answer, but he wasn't good in that role last season. Like, the splits just weren't great. They had a below-average offense when he was on the floor without Kemba last year. And, yes, Batum is only just coming back, and the Hornets are notorious for, hey, we want to tread water. They didn't go after that Dwight Howard trade over the summer just to kind of turn around and tank uh, or become these, like, heavy sellers, but... Let's look and parse the Eastern Conference for a minute. Who are your guaranteed playoff teams? The Celtics, the Wizards, Raptors, Cavaliers, and Bucks. I'd say, definitely. And that's five. And now you're left with, I'd probably throw the Pistons in there at this point after their 10-3 and three start. I'm willing to put the Sixers in there. I just think they're going to get to the playoffs. It would be a real surprise for me if they didn't. And now if you go by that line, you're at seven teams. So, Did you
1: even mention the magic yet either?
0: No, and that's my point is
1: they're another one, yeah. What
0: what do you do? I just don't know if they're guaranteed. I'm still not thinking. Oh, I
1: know. They're they're absolutely in the mix, and, though, is what I'm saying.
0: Right, and so that leaves you with the fringe playoff teams of the magic. I'll throw the Knicks in there for now, even though I think that's kind of a joke. The Heat and the Pacers, and if you're the Hornets, how many of those four teams are you guaranteed to be better than? I'll say the Knicks. I'm not I'm not sure on the magic. Yeah.
1: I don't know if I'd throw a guarantee on any of them.
0: I I mean, if they're not better than the Knicks, they have serious problems. And so they're in this super unique spot because they don't – for them selling, like, it has to be kind of a full-on fire sale. Like, you can maybe talk yourself into keeping Jeremy Lamb because he has one year left on his deal and he's still fairly young. You have Malik Monk. uh, But they don't have a bad contract on the books aside from Nicholas Batum's. And my guess would be that maybe you could still – if he comes back and plays okay – you can find someone to take, which includes this season, the, the final four years and like uh, 90-something million dollars that are left around on his deal or 100-something million dollars that are left on there. Uh, but you could. You could look to sell off Marvin Williams, Michael K. Gilchrist, if you just kind of think he's peaked or you don't want to keep him. They just have a lot of different avenues to explore, and I get it's a little bit more difficult for them because no one's taking Dwight Howard. They'd have to take an absolute bath on him, and so then you're kind of stuck with him and you're, you're in this limbo. But Kemba Walker is going to be a free agent in 2019, and he's going to command max money, probably near max at, at cheapest. You, you have to start thinking about this, because now you're kind of, if you're going to re-sign him, like you're just locked into this roster. Uh, Marvin Williams and Michael gilchrist both have player options in 2020. Nicholas Batum is signed through 2021, because he's definitely picking up his player option. You're just kind of locked into this core, and there's no clear path to getting cap space if you assume Walker's coming back. If you're going to fall outside of the Eastern Conference playoff picture, you know, I'm, I'm talking to the Nuggets, and I'm seeing are you going to give us everything, Jamal Murray and Moutier and Picks, uh, to, to get Kemba Walker out of here? And if they want to keep Kemba Walker, I'm shopping everybody else if they believe that he's going to be the linchpin for their next era. So. Uh, It's something I wouldn't do as of now. You have to give it time because we're early in the season. The East is wide open. You're getting Nicholas Batum back. But like this kind of just drifting around, and if it looks like you're not going to be assured of a playoff spot, there's no point in getting the eighth or the seventh seeds that you get bounced by the Celtics or the Cavs or whoever is going to be there facing you.
1: So I think what you said at the end there is kind of what I was thinking the whole time. Uh, I wouldn't do it now. And before you explained this whole situation, I I was kind of thinking I just wouldn't do it with them. I want to see what they look like with Nicholas Batum. I still kind of believe in a starting lineup of Walker, Batum, uh, Howard, Marvin Williams, and I guess MKG would be the fifth. Um, But like you said, it's a train wreck when Kimball Walker's off the floor. Um, And, yeah, if they're – like if it's – if it looks – pretty sure that they're going to miss the playoffs uh, in the Eastern conference in this like first year with this set of guys. I, it would be hard to not think about what they can do to kind of sh- switch it up. I never would have, uh, I never would have guessed uh, a situation of Kimball Walker on the nuggets. When you mentioned that, I thought, Oh, that's, that's actually kind of interesting to me. Um, I think he could fit pretty well there and maybe, yeah, you, you get a little bit younger. I think that's another that's another one that would be tough, I think, for the fan base there to swallow, kind of like <laughs> we mentioned with Joe Ingles in Utah. Um, but yeah, I think, long story short, over the course of that uh, explanation you gave, you you leaned me a little further towards selling for the Hornets. I think still right now I would come down on wait and see, because like you said, this is Nick Batum is just now coming back. And I don't think he's been quite as good on the Hornets as – as maybe I expected him to be. Um, his shooting percentages were pretty rough last year, but Turnover I still, there's thrown out
0: of the pick and roll too. That was the yeah. two seasons has been big time. There's just something about that
1: starting lineup that I, I like, I think I feel like it fits together pretty well and I might like it even more. I, I do like Michael Kidd Gilchrist's defense, but I might like the lineup even more. if Jeremy lamb was in there instead of him. Um, it, it just seems to fit maybe even a little bit better. So, yeah, I think again, long story short, I I think I would I would go wait and see on the Hornets.
0: I just I don't think they can pull off the table, especially because they're a team that was is supposed to make the playoffs and to even have it be a question of whether or not they can. I, I again, I know Matisse were... Batum isn't there, but I and l- listen to these really quick like it, it's it's like low-key incredible to me when Malik uh, when Jeremy Lamb is playing without Kemba Walker, the Hornets have an offensive rating of 90.5, which would comfortably rank dead last. Yeah. When Malik Monk is playing without Kemba Walker, they have an offensive rating of 85.9, again comfortably dead last. And when you tinker with the splits to see how they've done like over recent games, it just it doesn't get much better. Like they're the league's worst offensive team when Kemba Walker's not on the floor. And I don't know whether they have the surrounding personnel and spacing necessarily to make it work, even if Nicholas Batum comes in and is better. Their offense took a nosedive last year when he played without Walker, statistically. And again, if he's the player they thought they signed, like it kind of helps, which is why you're in wait and see. But it shouldn't, and I know they've had the injury with Batum to deal with. I can't stress that enough, but you were supposed to be a lock for the postseason in the East. And if you're not, if we're sitting here Middle of December, and we're still saying the same thing. A couple weeks from now, I'm not making. No one's untouchable on this roster. Me, and I I hate to say that. That includes Kemba, who is an exceptional player, one of the seven or eight best point guards in the NBA, hands down. So this isn't an insult to him. But you could you could jumpstart a nice rebuild if you eventually have to. uh, If you're eventually going to move him, you can probably get a prospect or two, another first round pick, maybe get off one of the contracts that you don't want and that would be paramount to them starting any sort of reset. And I do think his upcoming free agency period in 2019 has to be part of the equation because of the way the books are set up elsewhere.
1: You want to hear something crazy? Always. You know that I uh, looked up everybody's wins above replacement projection from 538 this summer. Um, and then I took the top 10 players from each team in those projections and I combined them and if you do that, the Cavs were supposed to be the best team in the East, no surprise. The Hornets were supposed to be second. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. Their third best guy, according to those projections, was Batum. So maybe we can point to that as obvious. I mean, obviously, pointing to Batum being out all season, is it's pretty easy to say that's part of their problem. Um, but, yeah, they were they were definitely supposed to be better than they have been so maybe it is time to course correct a little bit but i'm gonna i'm gonna stick with wait and see for them
0: the only other thing that i guess they could do is do you try and double down on this core by becoming a buyer instead if you dangle let's say this do you remember my like dare to be great trade was dangled jeremy lamb marvin williams in a first and try and use it to get and one of the Oh well, that oh, was. The, you said love. That was. A, okay, oh, that was ahead. on the last pod. But it was when Bledsoe was still on the Suns, and you okay. try and replicate the Jeremy Lin model with Walker using a better point guard, and you could have taken back one of the deals, Dudley or Chandler, that the 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 Suns didn't want. Like maybe that, that is that your package? Is that your path to maybe you go after another highish end player? Uh, you can use. You could throw Michael K. Gilchrist in there if you really wanted to as well. Like if Milwaukee's kind of super worried about its depth um uh, and the impending luxury tax because you have to pay jabari parker Uh, you have to start thinking about a new deal for malcolm brogdon and yes you have to start thinking about a new deal for chris middleton who has this year then next season and then he has a player option for 2019 2020 could you use kid gilchrist and jeremy lamb to get middleton or kid gilchrist and even someone cheaper and a first to get Middleton, and I don't think the Bucks are there, so like Milwaukee fans can just stay away. But that would be—I'm just using that as an example. They might have to be opportunistic and then double down on this core, which I don't know if that would necessarily be the smartest move either.
1: Yeah, I guess it would just depend on what was available. I um, as as being in the wait and see camp, I guess I can't rule that out either.
0: Um,
1: yeah, but that. So ref- are you? I'm, you have them as sellers, then, right?
0: I have them as wait and see, but with okay. if if we're going to be presented with, should we buy or should we sell? If I'm them, I I would tilt towards sell just because I don't even know that their best offer is going to get you anyone who's game change. I mean, if you gave up, I, I, it's just tough because the Bucks I wouldn't think would be looking to move Middleton, who I still view as one of the best trade assets in the NBA because of their potential luxury set. Uh, excuse me, their tax situation, their cap space. Looking down the line and having to worry about pay all these guys. That's why I think he's he's a possible a very long shot, possibly in a great trade asset. But what do you give up to get him? I don't know that their best package for him would trump anything else. So I would tilt if they get to a point where it's hey, we either need to buy or we need to sell. I'm going to tilt towards sell for them.
1: Okay, so that's I'm I'm gonna I don't know what's in between sell and wait and see, but that's where you are on the Hornets. Um, I'm wait and see. Next up, we have another team in that same division, uh, the Miami Heat, who I thought would be better uh, in the early part of the season than they have been so far. They're 6-7, 19th in the league overall, according to Basketball Reference's simple rating system. Um, James Johnson's been good. Dragic has been good. Olenek's been pretty good. Um, I mean, I, I guess they're kind of getting what they expected out of a lot of guys individually. Just, it hasn't really added up to the collective that it was for the second half of last season when they went like 30 and 11 or whatever they did in that closing kick. Um, This is something that, you know, a lot of people were worried about this summer was that they were paying millions and millions and millions of dollars to guys who were basically never going to be all stars. And you were kind of locking yourself into this middle of the road Eastern Conference team. And it all, I mean, Basically, this is kind of what they should have expected. Um, although, like I said, they've been a little bit better. Um, I think there's one specific piece they could probably sell and maybe get some decent value out of it. And I, I'm sure you can guess who I'm referring to. Um, overall, I think I'm going to go with sellers on them. But, I, I mean, I'll just I'll, I'll come around and say it. I think Hassan Whiteside is the guy that they can trade. I don't really know if there's a destination for him.
0: Well, then isn't it kind of, I was going to say, is he the guy that can trade or the guy that they should trade? Because there might...
1: Well, if it was, if it's me, I'll go ahead and say should. I I just, I think a lot of things work better on this team if he's not there.
0: Right. Um, I would tend to agree, even though their offense wasn't great when he was absent, so it's not like they were completely much better without him, but they definitely have the personnel to be as good defensively if he's not there I just don't know where you move him he would be the guy that you should sell I just don't know that he's the one that you could like if they're looking at like selling that's when you have to start talking about do we get rid of Dragic and do we kind of like lean into a rebuild or something and they're in this weird spot because they're they're going to be if they're maybe they're a playoff team maybe they're not but they're not going to be much better or better at all last year. And people have said this, but normally your record over the course of an entire season is reflective of the team that yeah. you are. So yes, they were 31 and 10 to close out the year. Oh, excuse me, 30. Yeah, 31 and 10 to close out the year. 30 and 11. Why? I don't know. I
1: was just guessing when I said 30 and 11. I think it was somewhere in that range. So
0: it, I don't know why I blanked on that since then, but you started the season 10 and 31 or 11 and 30. So it's just Yeah. I it's really I think they should sell. I just don't think they're they're like similar to the Hornets in that they don't have a bad contract on the books. I don't think you look and say, wow, this deal is absolutely terrible for anyone. Yeah. But I don't think any of them with the exception of maybe Dragic is just this easily movable contract. Maybe Kelly Olynyk, but it's just it's tough to move bigs so who are on these long-term commitments that are paying them eight figures annually.
1: Do you think uh, do you think anybody's still interested in Justice Winslow? Because their win streak last year basically coincided with him being done for the season, right? Uh, and he's still pretty bad offensively this year. His his true shooting percentage is almost ten points below league average right now.
0: Yeah, I don't. I we've. I think we had this discussion on, or I had this discussion with. Um, Arjun Barwad and Adam Formello of NBA Math, when they were on a podcast when you abandoned me this season, and I said <laughs> I'm I'm out on Justice Winslow from the Heat. He he can be kind of a scrappy defender, and he's shown that he can kind of handle the ball and run some pick-and-roll in certain situations. I'm selling high on him if I can, and maybe that's what you use to get off Hassan Whiteside's contract. But now you're at a point where Hassan Whiteside does, in theory, help your team, and you're using an asset to get rid of him. That That seems a little bit counterintuitive they the only thing they can do then though is to go that hornet's buyers route and use justice winslow and still tout him as this like basically lottery prospect a good defender and then attach him to one of their sizable deals and try and get a piece that helps them now and i don't i don't think that trade would be out there
1: yeah i don't know i don't know who would be a buyer on justice right now at this point um i think my sort of Summary on the heat, though, is, like I said, I would be a seller if I was them. But at the same time, I I think they can be a seller and still make the playoffs. Uh, just because, I, like I said, I think a couple lineups might work a little better if uh, they're cleared up and allowed to play more together. Like a James Johnson, Kelly Olenek front court is one that I think should probably have more time. James Johnson at the five, probably more time. Uh, Josh Richardson, more minutes than Dion Waiters would probably help. Um, I think there's just a lot of things like that that would that would help this team right now.
0: You could definitely see how Johnson and Olenek would complement one another, but hasn't mm-hmm. it, it? I mean, even with it
1: hasn't it hasn't been great so far, and it, I I haven't checked this in like a week or so. Um, but it had a negative net rating the last time I checked still that two man lineup. But it can't be more than what like 50 minutes right now.
0: 123 minutes. Oh, uh, wow. negative 3.5 points per 100 possessions. So that's uh, it, a little it,
1: bit more sustainable. But I, I think with two men lineups, you probably want like what 500 minutes to really trust it.
0: F- yeah, maybe. Um, they've played 58 minutes over their last four appearances together. So maybe suppose just leaning on it. It should work in theory. Um, th- I think he probably just trusts the Whiteside Johnson combination. A little bit more, uh, like that, just seems to be a more. Pop-ing. They've had a
1: couple games where they've gotten back in it just by playing him at the five too, Johnson, with is a that, bunch of wings, which the, is, I mean, that's a really interesting lineup to me.
0: That's an ex- that's an incredibly interesting lineup. The issue though is kind of like, um, and I'm I'm sorry, the Johnson Whiteside lineup actually hasn't logged a lot of time together. i was just looking; they have a negative net rating as well. It, Johnson's the guy who can kind of connect the bridge between anyone because he should, in theory, kind of fit with either of these two bigs. But if you're going to use him at the five, now all of a sudden you have about $40 million worth of big men just sitting on the bench. Yeah. And one of the things that I think hamstrings the heat is that they either can't or they've been reluctant to try out Linux and Whiteside together. They've only made one appearance and played 10 minutes together this season. Because I I guess ideally you don't want Kelly Olenek at the four. But something's going to have to give somewhere, especially if you want to carve out minutes for James Johnson at the five. Those lineups would be incredibly interesting, but they'd be a lot more—that comes back to Whiteside. Maybe you are just—are you willing to just get rid of him then for the sake of— Yeah, of that's what I was just then. thinking. Does Who,
1: this all just point to them selling on Whiteside?
0: I just don't know where you send him. I mean, because even if, let's say, the Bucks were willing to take a flyer, like you're still going to probably have to take back Henson and Toledovich. And so you now you have Henson who, yeah, okay, he's cheaper and maybe he's easier to kind of chain to the bench, but I don't necessarily know that you want that contract or maybe you do. And I'm not sure. The Bucks when they have to worry about the, their tax situation moving forward, you don't want Hassan Whiteside. Um,
1: yeah, it's like every time we do one of these podcasts, it's like where who really wants these big guys? And it's been hard to figure that out for two or three years now.
0: Yeah, so I think they should be sellers. They just don't have a path to sell. I'm going to go sell. with sellers too. They should yeah. be sellers without the path to sell. Like I, like maybe – I don't know if like Portland goes like bonkers and they're just out on Yosef Nurkic for some reason and they don't want to pay him. I, I honestly – I don't know uh, that. But there are, not, there are not many destinations for him if there are destinations at all because I don't even know – like you can't talk yourself into, as I stutter, but you can't talk yourself into like using him as a building block either at this point he's 28 turns 29 in june it's you know he's going to put up the rebounds the blocks and and get you the points and be that walking double double but you we're past the point at his price point specifically where you're going to say maybe he can be a building block so i don't i honestly have no idea where the heat would go with that deal and it might even be at the point where now they need to attach something to him and i i don't know that they'd be willing to do that so they are I'm, – I'm in agreement with you. I guess the verdict is sellers without a clear path towards selling. Works for me. Um, um, I was going to say – <laughs> Go ahead. I was going to say, do we want to move on to the – do we want to we get out of the East for a little bit?
1: Well, I was thinking there's two teams that are really interesting to me, and then there's uh, a few that I think we kind of agreed were – we're already sellers. We just need to figure out who they can sell. Um,
0: you want to hit those? You, you I was going to say, anomalies? let's hit
1: those quickly, yeah.
0: All right. Uh, so let's
1: start with the Bulls. Obviously, sellers. Um, probably one of the two or three worst teams in the league right now. Uh, Lori Markkinen looks great, which is nice. Uh, Chris Dunn has looked a little better than he did last year. Um, obviously, they're not good. The, the question is... Who can they sell? To me, the only option really is Robin Lopez, but we run into the same problem that we just talked about. And it's probably even worse with Robin Lopez because I I think he's going to objectively have less value than somebody like Whiteside. Maybe not, though. Now that I say that out loud, I'm kind of disagreeing with myself Um, because maybe he fits into a smaller role on a team better than Whiteside would. But I I look up and down the roster. I can't see anybody else that they could possibly even try to trade.
0: I'm in lockstep with you right there, and have been equally uh, equally impressed with Lori Markkinen. And can I just drop a fun a fun stat about the Bulls? Yes, you can. Their lineup of Jaron Grant, Justin Holiday, Robin Lopez, Markkinen, and David Nwaba has logged. Sixty-seven minutes and outscored opponents by twenty-two total points. Among wow. oh wait, listen to this: among the two hundred and eighteen lineups this season that have logged less than seventy minutes together, that ties them for tenth. Wow! wow. Say that, it was
1: Jerry and Grant Waba. Who, say say that lineup again.
0: Jerry and Grant Waba, Holiday, Lopez, and Markkinen. Wow! They are. They as of right now they are overall like a better net plus than uh, it was before. I think this changed, but they were like in lockstep uh, with the starting lineup for the Minnesota Timberwolves. Is like they were better <laughs> than them when looking at plus minus start better than like Minnesota's starting five, which was that's amazing, which was just hysterical. So I don't know where you send Lopez. Like that's the
1: like, yeah I don't know either.
0: That's kind of like the I don't know like the. The offshoot here, um, but I think you could sell Miritich, too at this point. He has the oh, team option. Oh, you know option. what?
1: I didn't even think about him. He he should definitely be talked about too. So, and I'm sure they probably already are. There, I don't.
0: They can't move I him until January, if, but yeah,
1: yeah. But I, was, I wouldn't be surprised if Miritich has already told them I'm I'm not coming back if Portis is there.
0: Well, he's he's at practice per Casey Johnson, the Chicago Tribune. Oh, when talking did that? To everybody, but. Bobby Portis.
1: <laughs> oh, I did. I missed that.
0: Yeah, that happened a couple of days ago. Um, okay. I came up with, for an article I was writing the other day, I did come up with a potential Miritich trade that obviously, again, could kind of not take place until January. So I'm curious to see your thoughts on it. The Blazers get Justin Holiday and Miritich, and they send out Vonleh, Lehman, Leonard, a first-round pick and a second-round pick for those two. Some people were more up in arms with Justin Holiday because he's been kind of a good find. Um, but if you're going to get a first round pick for him, he's and, also
1: shooting 34 percent from the field.
0: Right. So I don't know. Like they get all, Like yes, you have Myers Leonard on, but your timeline is is whatever, and his contract isn't like super clocky yeah, and it'll have two years. I'd be it.
1: ready to sell on Myers Leonard
0: for the Blazers, most definitely. But you get of a flyer on Vonley for the rest of the year before he's. Uh, restricted free agent, and then you just get another first-round pick. So I, I would consider it. I would do it if I was, it the if Bulls, I was cause, Chicago. Because we don't know what just trade value is. He has that team option, so they can be tr- he can be treated like an expiring contract. But what if he comes back, or you try and trade him before he even comes back, and he's just not playing well uh, come January? I
1: honestly so. think that's a harder call for the Blazers than it is for the Bulls. You know, I, I almost think that's a no-brainer for the Bulls.
0: I think it's a no-brainer for the Blazers just because Holiday costs you nothing next year. And it's just, I mean, bring him off the bench, he'll hit – like he won't be Allen Crab, but he'll probably hit an average rate of his threes on this team, catching passes from CJ and Dame, and maybe even Evan Turner a little bit. And then if if the thing with Miritich does doesn't work out, just decline his team option. So yeah, when, and you got true. off Myers. They cost you a first round pick, but you got off Myers Leonard. So that was my suggestion for them. The I'm I'm gonna say yes on that trade. Woo! I love when you when you get <laughs> approval. Um, the Hawks were another team that were kind of like no brainer sellers for us. Um, they would move Kent Baysmore in a heartbeat. What what he has, if you want to include this season, he has three years and 50 plus million dollars left on his deal. He's probably close to a movable at this point. Unless I
1: was, yeah, okay. I was going to say that's another one that's hard to find a destination.
0: You would, there was like some interesting pieces. Like if you were willing to do for Reed and Darrell Arthur for Kent Baysmore, if the nuggets were desperate to just get better perimeter defense, but I don't—that's a tough call for them to make. You don't want to be tied up with that much salary. You got to worry about paying Nicole Jokic either this summer or next. You just pay Gary Harris. You have Will Barton who's going to be a free agent. Wilson Chandler, player option as well. But I, I do expect them to move or talk a lot about moving. Uh, Marco Bellinelli, expiring deal. Luke Babbitt, who's just this, like—I love I love when he, like, just plays—he plays the four and he's just— he can fire up threes in a hurry and they they can kind of go in. And then I I do expect they'll probably shop Dwayne Dedman at some point too. It's a player option for next year. He's super cheap. They have him shooting threes now. And I I know that they've kind of built this model of we want guys who are going to compete and we want to be fun to watch and yada, yada, yada. But you're rebuilding and maybe a contender wants him as a backup big or a starting big because one of their bigs gets injured and the alternative would be trading for someone expensive.
1: And Ursan Ilyasov always seems to be somebody who's kind of floating around the trade rumor mill. He's that another too. one that could maybe sell on. Um, yeah. They actually have a few guys that could be uh, valuable to other teams. The, and I'm all for like, deadman has been good. I- I'm all for playing John Collins, like 30 plus minutes a night already. He's
0: just so damn bouncy.
1: So, yeah. I mean, he's, um, I, I can't remember. I think he, I'm pretty sure he led the country in PER last year. And then I was listening to like a pre-draft pod that said that he was younger than a lot of the freshmen that were coming out. Like he was a young freshman the year before. So I was really high on him. And a lot of the things, I mean, he's so bouncy and just um, you- so good around the rim. And he's showing all that against NBA defenses too. Uh, so I want to see him play more. So I would I would be fine with them shopping Deadman, like you mentioned. I think Bellinelli, as a shooter off the bench, could have a ton of value for, for a bunch of teams. He's shooting 46% from three right now. Um. Yeah, they have some interesting ones for sure. Luke he, Babbitt, the career forty-plus percent three-point shooter, like you mentioned, with like a ceremonial starting four who can just hit a couple threes for you. I, there's there's definitely some interesting pieces there.
0: Here would be an interesting trade. You, if you're the Pistons, you trade John Moore and your 2018 first-round pick for Luke Babbitt and Dwayne Dedmon, or Marco Belinelli and Dwayne Dedmon, but then you have to include extra salary probably.
1: And Dedman becomes the backup five for
0: for Drummond. Drummond. Or you could go Bellinelli and Babbitt. I, if you get two of three, like you're still kind of iffy on four spacing. If you're Detroit, you get off Lore's deal. Yes, it cost you a first-round pick, but his deal looked good for like the first half of last year, and it's just not looked great ever since. And you can get two shooters in Babbitt or Bellinelli. That works financially. You could replace Be- Bellinelli with Dedman in that scenario. So now you're getting a shooter in Babbitt who could play the three and the four, and then Dedman. Who's was a fantastic who's, backup to Andre Drummond.
1: Who's playing a lot off Detroit's bench right now? That's what I want to see.
0: Detroit has been – Because
1: their starting lineup is still solid, I'm guessing. Um, looks like Reggie Bullock a little bit, uh, Ish Smith. Yeah, I would – when I look at who's playing on their bench, Langston Galloway – Anthony Tolliver. I, I think Bellinelli's definitely a guy that can help them.
0: So, yeah, and I mean, that would be – so you could go with those two guys, and if you're the Hawks, you get a first-round pick for players that don't factor in either, and you can eat Moore's deal. He's not a player who you have to put like up ahead of John Collins. So that yeah. would be my suggestion for them.
1: All right, you got me again. That's nice. two trades I'm cool with. Um, okay, another team that's already has to be thinking selling – I will go with the Kings, who signed a bunch of vets this offseason. My favorite stat with the Kings right now, uh, 10 players are averaging more than 19 minutes a game, and nobody's averaging uh, over 27. Dave Yeager is just like, he's doing like 7th grade substitution patterns. Play everybody equal time. Um, It's very, very strange. If I was in that front office, I would want these vets gone for no other reason than to force Jaeger to play these young guys uh, a little bit more. And although it's been a a dreadful start, I think it's probably fair to say for George Hale. I still think he's a guy that's interesting on a good team. Um, I can't imagine Zach Randolph has much trade value. At this point, he's the other vet they signed. I would I, say I don't he has think,
0: zero trade value. Yeah, I was I, gonna say I don't, I don't think want to pay Vince Carter has next year.
1: Yeah, Vince Carter probably doesn't have a lot of trade value either. Maybe I might go zero there too. So maybe the only one is George Hill. I don't. Is there anybody else on this roster? Maybe Costa Kupas is somebody you could sell. Um, I, I don't know. I would what th- do you think about this one?
0: I would think you could probably move Garrett Temple if you wanted to.
1: Oh, that's a good call, yeah.
0: Um, And he's probably the easiest one to move. The only thing is, I don't know what you're getting back for him. He's a player option for the summer. The the benefit to moving him would just be, hey, there'll be more minutes open for Buddy Heald and Justin Jackson and maybe even De'Aaron Fox a little bit when you look at yeah. how George Hill could play the two. Uh, Malachi Richardson as well. So that would be one upside. George Hill... I think he's still movable. He's shooting almost 48% from 3, under 39% from two point range. He has not looked good. You said before the podcast and I agree. He just needs to be on a quality team with another reliable go-to scorer. Yeah. And he'll be fine. And his cut like yes, he's making $20 million this year, 19 million next year, but only 1 million of his salary is guaranteed in 2019-2020. So you're looking at it's essentially a 2-year $40 million deal. And you can talk yourself into that, like through next season. Um, I don't. I just don't know what you would get for him. You're not getting a first round pick for him unless you're taking back like a really crappy contract.
1: Yeah, at this point, the contract, like the contract he just signed, is probably what makes him harder to trade. Um, just in terms of pure basketball, like we've both already said, he's he's still a solid player if he's in the right role. Like if he's your outlet to a superstar wing, he's, he's excellent in that role. He's, he's clearly not cut out to carry a, a team that's filled with young guys like this though. I mean, maybe off the court, he's, he's still the great leader he's been his whole career, but um, it is not reflecting well on his basketball abilities to be on this terrible Kings team.
0: There is no realistic way to make this happen, but do you know where he would be a fantastic fit?
1: Um, he's always good on the Spurs.
0: Well, that that that's fair too. Um, oh, I'll go ahead. Throw him on the Hornets.
1: Yeah, that would be interesting. You
0: can't. I mean, paying him and Batum and Dwight Howard, it would be absurd. But Kemba Walker's cheap enough. But you're not going to want to give. You know, I don't. I don't think you'd want to give. Jeremy Lamb and Marvin Williams and a pick for George Hill. I don't know that that's a trade that you want to make.
1: Yeah, I, I probably wouldn't do that if I was. I'm, I'm still like, I'm still like Jeremy number one La- fan of Marvin Williams for some reason. He's
0: very switchy and he's hit, he hits threes. He's understatedly switchy. I shouldn't say he's very switchy. And Jeremy Lamb has just been fantastic this year. He's been awesome this season. Yeah, so one of the. Just- one
1: but, of the surprises I've been tracking. But
0: that would be a great secondary playmaker for Kemba if the whole Batum thing flames up. But, yeah, yeah that's a, it's sure. a, it's a tough thing to move. So the Kings for an Irish one. I'm actually going to throw a fourth obvious seller in here because they've already started selling the Suns. They botched the Eric Bledsoe thing. If you can get anyone to take on Tyson Chandler, you just need to do it at this point. I don't know that you can because who wants to pay these 30-something non-shooting bigs? He's on yeah. he's on the books for one more year. Yeah. Uh, after this season, you're not going to want to pay him more than thirteen million dollars a year. And again, we're at this point where, where would you put him? I thought they missed an opportunity.
1: I was going to say I thought for sure he'd be attached to any Bledsoe
0: trade. I, and I came up with a scenario in the last podcast where they could have it could have worked with the Bucks too, but they, their leverage must have been even like more scant than we initially thought. Yeah. So, um, the
1: other one for them is Jared Dudley, but he's another guy that he's I, like
0: jazzed up to be part of like like in dad mode though. So it's tough yeah, for me to... Yeah, I've heard of him.
1: Yeah, he loves being in there. There's actually one more obvious seller too. Um, the Dallas Mavericks.
0: Yes, that was a... I was, that was, that's a good one. So we had five obvious so there's sellers.
1: there's actually... This one is interesting still, even though they're an obvious seller, because um, the guy that... <laughs> so I think you're going to point to Harrison Barnes as somebody they should think about selling. um. But they just signed him as like their franchise cornerstone two years ago. Are you think they're already ready to move on from him?
0: I think they sh- if uh, um, if that jazz deal that we talked about last time presented itself, and for everyone's reminder, it was favors of. I mean, that jazz deal is off the table now because Gobert's injured. So that if if the deal presents itself where you can save some money um, or a lot of money, and in that scenario, they were getting a pick, then you absolutely do it. But I I don't think you have to sell him right now. Um, and he hasn't been as good this season as he was last season. And part of that's definitely adjusting to playing with Dennis Smith Jr. You've had Dirk's been healthy all year this year too. But he's back up to shooting 35% from three as a guy who could create his own shot. If you can get something for him, if there's a team that's really just in need of shot creation nearing the deadline, like I'm not making him untouchable. And I don't know what that team would be, uh, but I'm definitely looking at moving Wesley Matthews to see if you can cut costs somehow so that you don't have to pay him over $18 million next year. That would be something I'd be looking at uh
1: that's a good, that'd be a hard one to move though do you think I assume would
0: you do it for Channing Fry and Amon Schumpert and maybe a second round pick? I don't even know if you need to include it. There's Channing Fry comes off the books this year. Amon Shumpert's making uh substantially less than Matthews next year if he opts in, and I don't there's when he's supposed to make uh eleven million dollars next year, so seven point six million less than Wesley Matthews. There's no reason for him not to opt in, but he is still fairly young. If he thinks that he can get like a three-year, twenty-five million dollar deal or something, like maybe it would be be worth it for him. So you could all of a sudden find he's more. My point is he's more likely to opt out than Wesley Matthews. And I think you can talk yourself into if you're the Cavs, Matthews being a better three and D option than Shumpert, who is inconsistent on both ends of the floor on his best nights, and definitely on the offensive end, even if you expect him to bring it defensively.
1: Nineteen million for West. Matthews is just that's tough on any team
0: I, I they would no one likes Dwight Powell there uh, I, I feel like the Mavericks fans are always complaining about him yeah that's his, true his deal he's owed after this season it's basically two years and 20 million dollars about I think it's a hair less so that's gonna be a tough deal to move as well but if you can I mean I I'm, I'm, I'm even looking at becoming the dumping ground if I'm gonna get picks out of it like if you can send a Mavericks, right. You don't have yeah. a ton of expiring contracts, but like, you know, you piece together Josh McRoberts, Devin Harris, that's over $10 million right there. Nerlens Noel brings you up closer to $15 million. Seth Curry's injured and expiring. We don't know if he factors in long-term there. So if you can get, if you can consolidate, you take on a bad contract and get a pick, that's something I'm looking at if I'm them as well. Because Dirk even came out and told the ESPN.com's Ting McMahon this week, that he doesn't care about the Mavericks' record. He'll return if he still likes yeah. basketball. So if you don't have to worry about that, then...
1: You want to hear... Uh, so ESPN's real plus minus is uh, annoyingly hard to navigate. I don't know if you've noticed that. <laughs> so I actually uh, I made my own spreadsheet, and then I filtered in guys who've played at least 100 minutes. There's 303... Guess where Harrison Barnes ranks among the, those 303 in real plus-minus.
0: Uh, I don't even want to take a guess. <laughs>
1: 294.
0: That's less than ideal.
1: <laughs> the only players worse right now are Denzel Valentine, Josh Jackson, Derek Rose, Paul Zipser, Lance Stevenson, Shabazz Muhammad, Kay Felder, Tyler Ullis, and De'Aaron
0: Fox. Well, crap.
1: But I, um. I think everything you said about Harrison Barnes is still true, though. I, I think a team in need of offense could. Nobody's gonna like make or break a trade depending on real plus minus. I just think it's interesting. Um, okay, so those are our obvious sellers. I think I would try to sell a lot of those guys you mentioned for the Mavericks. I just don't. I just don't know who's gonna.
0: Dennis Smith take and maybe Doran Finney Smith are the only like should be untouchables on this roster in addition to Dirk. Dorian Finney Smith, huh? I just keep him there. Like, I mean, he's cheap. Like, that's my yeah. thing.
1: Um, so here's one that you threw out before the pod that kind of surprised me, but it makes it made sense once I thought about it. Um, did the Clippers start four and zero this year? Yep. They are now five and eight. Uh, really, just kind of a mess, especially since Patrick Beverly hasn't been playing. Um. It shouldn't have been surprising, but DeAndre Jordan just doesn't look like anywhere near the same player he was with Chris Paul feeding him those lobs. Um, Daniel Gallinari has had a hard time getting going. He's shooting 36% from the field and 26% from three right now. He also uh, hasn't
0: really played. Uh, he left.
1: That's true. He's only got nine games. Yeah. He's also not getting to the line as much as he, he does in years past. Um, Blake Griffin's been pretty dang good his his hot shooting from three has cooled significantly over the last few games but yeah this is suddenly a team that might have to be thinking sellers too I mean I was I was pretty high on them when they had that four and oh start it was like oh man maybe they didn't need Chris Paul maybe it was a little Patrick Ewing theory going on right now but um they they are suddenly in some some real trouble I
0: think want to know a troubling stat for DeAndre Jordan yes The number of possessions he finishes as the role man this year has been slashed by more than thirty three percent compared to last (laughs) season, and he's shooting sixty percent on these plays this year, down from eighty six percent last year. Oh wow! And it's he can still be a good percent is crazy, right? That's crazy, but sixty percent is—I mean, for him, it's just not great. Like it's high enough. I think it's the fiftieth percentile right now, or fifty first in the league. You need another they don't the the Clippers' best pick and roll players are Blake Griffin and Lou Williams for ball handlers. Like that's it. Because yeah. Patrick Beverly's never been that guy. Austin Rivers is not that guy.
1: We haven't had a chance to see Milos really do it either.
0: Right, that's true. So that hurts Jordan, and maybe that's why they're in wait and see mode and also you've kind of gone a little bit all in this season. Like you rerouted that pick you got um as part of the you rerouted it to get rid of Jamal Crawford that you got as part of the Chris Paul trade, so it's it's tough for them but i mean you're looking at the west and i know it's a little bit tough to talk yourself out of especially now with the jazz you can kind of write them if you want to write them out of the playoff picture and but you still have to contend with the blazers and the grizzlies and and the pelicans who are over 500 right now and i think we can put basically all four of those like fringe teams in the west on sellers watch like we already talked about the jazz but even the blazers i feel like they've been trying to sell Ever since they gave out all these contracts, they got rid of Alan Crabbe. They probably still have to get yeah, out that's true. Alan Turner, Harkless doesn't look great this year, and that's a team I don't think they'd ever bail on McCollum, Lillard middle of the season anyway. Maybe that's something they revisit over the summer. Um, the Pelicans have to think about trading Demarcus Cousins if they're not going to make the playoffs or if they get an inkling that he's not going to resign. So, but the Clippers are. In, I mean, if you if you're in, right now they have the fourth worst record in the Western Conference. Like if you're in that territory, it's time to like. We need to set this this son bitch on fire and just try and build around Blake Griffin. Like you, you yeah, flip DeAndre. Got at least think about it. Right, you flip DeAndre Jordan to whoever's gonna take him. Um, and I, I think you could probably find a home for him because there's a path. send
1: him. Send him to the Mavs.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that would be some rich irony. And you can yeah. get all back. I mean, the Bucks would work. Build the deal around. John Henson's deal, who's under long-term contract, but he's cheaper, in theory does some of the stuff Jordan should do. He should yeah. be able to finish out of the pick-and-roll, and he'll block shots. He's not as good as a switcher as DeAndre is. I don't know who else you add to that deal to make it. The Bucks don't have a pick, and they're going to need to get off other salary. Uh, but I, you trade DeAndre Jordan, uh, You, I guess you're not going to trade Austin Rivers because he's the coach's son. Maybe you hope to God that he hops <laughs> out this summer. Um Wesley Johnson, you probably have to try and get rid of him somehow because he would probably opt in. There, there's a lot of stuff that they would really need to do, but if if you're, I I don't know, I'm going to like three more weeks. If you're not in the playoff picture, or if you don't have a steady lead on two of those four, uh, two of the other three teams that we named, the Jazz were obviously one of them. But if you're not really keeping pace with the Grizzlies, the Blazers, or the Pelicans, like I'm like I'm out. Like it's time to just. Let's just sell off what we can. And it's tough because you gave uh, Milos a multi three year deal and he hasn't played. So he's all of a sudden immovable once he becomes eligible to be traded, probably. Uh, Daniil Gallinari, you're going to move on from him. I don't know who's taking that deal necessarily if he comes back and is eligible to be traded. But it would be, it seems like there would be a path. They could bottom out, in my opinion, if they really wanted to. I don't think you look at this roster and say the deals that they would need to move to ensure that they bottom out would be. Jordan and Gallinari and I think you could get rid of them and then everyone else if you're not going to play Blake Griffin or not play him much at all you could bottom out while letting them be on the floor
1: yeah I think I am um like I said I was a little surprised when you first brought it up before the podcast but they they definitely need to be thinking about it uh at least soon but did did Austin Rivers Wesley Johnson and Jamal Crawford without were all three of them signed the same summer
0: Yes, am I remembering that right? I can't remember <laughs> if Johnson was signed in two thousand and sixteen as well. I think he was yeah, he was man what so, a I mean two thousand and six an that was a bad year for the was. clippers and he to sign resign anybody <laughs> um yeah, so I think I
1: over the course of this podcast, I've talked myself into them being sellers. There's Unless one more. Unless they can more. get
0: another ball handler, like to help out, which I don't, maybe Milos comes like back and makes it, the difference. I was going to
1: say, yeah, see what it looks like when Milos comes back. Um, but l- I, I think I would agree with you. Give it another like two or three weeks. And then maybe it's time to, to get serious about looking around the league. Um, here's one. Your hometown, New York Knicks, are currently sixth in the Eastern Conference. They're above 500. Kristaps Sporzingis is averaging almost 30 points a game. Um, Ennis Kanter is averaging a double-double. Tim Hardaway's shooting percentages are recovering a little bit. Uh, what, what level of disaster is it for you as a Knicks fan, or any Knicks fan, if this team makes the playoffs?
0: Some people are going to be tricked into being excited to watch competitive basketball and this team has been fun, but if they could lose fifty five games like the one they lost against the Cavs the other night or that game they won against the Hornets where they come surging back or they just make things interesting because they had a have a lead, like that's the ideal scenario. You don't want to end up seventh or eighth or sixth or just getting bounced in the first round. Because we need to we need to talk about this. The Knicks future is not exceedingly bright. Frank Aquina looks very good, good enough to the point where you can say, like, let's slow the roll in the Dennis Smith Jr. talk. And even if Smith Jr. ends up being the better pro, I think Neil Aquina is the better fit for Porzingis because of the way he plays off the ball and plays defense. Like, it's just a better fit. And, yes, you have Porzingis, who looks like he's going to be a top-10 player at some point. What is your path to getting better from there? It's clearly not playing Willie and Gomez. You have your draft pick this year— and yes, you own all your own draft picks, but now the lottery is being reformed in 2019. And if you're all of a sudden not good enough to have a bottom five, or if you're, excuse me, you're too good to have a bottom five or a bottom seven record, you don't have cap space. Like this, it's it's not happening. And by the time you can get cap space again, Christos will be on his super max. Akina will be approaching another deal. And please someone tell me whether they trust the Knicks to make sure they don't add any other shitty deals <laughs> during that time. So like... Sell. I, obviously, you're not getting rid of Noah. You're, you can't get rid of Cantor. Uh, but get rid of everybody else. It's I don't know. What can you get for Courtney Lee and Lance Thomas, who are both on – Lee's probably about market value, I would say. Maybe he's a little bit above market value right now. Uh, he's making, I would say, probably averages, let's say, $12 million a year. Lance Thomas is making under seven point six million dollars this season, and then through each of the next two seasons, and his final year is non guaranteed there as well. That's an asset that maybe you can turn in to something. Kylo Quinn is a player option this season. If someone's looking for a backup big or even emergency starter this year, he's been absolutely he's been fantastic. Good. One of the best yeah. defensive players in the league in terms of value added. It's like it, it just sell. Like you, you, you still want to play Porzingis? I get it, but he needs to get that elbow procedure done you know once he makes his all-star yeah. start like okay bye Porzingis you get that done and he's done for the season and you go from there you're not gonna move Tim Hardaway Jr. that contract is still awful I don't I, he hit some big shots against Cleveland he hit some big shots against the Hornets but he's just not He he's not worth the money that they gave him and you're saddled with these bad deals so in my mind you need to be bad this year and now that we've gotten the taste of okay Chris Dops is good enough to headline a quality team or Chris is exactly the player that we thought he is. Like, we don't need to see more of this Like competitive basketball is fun, but you don't want to be stuck in no man's land in the Eastern conference. And this year's draft pick and future draft picks, obviously like those are your best means of improvement because cap space is not on the way. And even if it is, it's because you gave up first round picks to get rid of these really crappy deals that are on your books. So, I don't know where you fall on it, but I've been an advocate ever since it was like game eight of the season and they weren't like the second worst team in the Eastern Conference. I've been an advocate <laughs> for them to sell.
1: Man, if they sold off a lot of those bets and shut down Chris Stapps with the elbow surgery, I would be a 1,000% in on the Ennis Cantor season.
0: <laughs> would he be good enough so then maybe someone, poor, poor sappy team, takes a gamble on him? Somebody might.
1: I mean, well, his, his raw numbers every single year are like crazy. Like this year he's averaging 20 and 16 per 36 minutes. Um, but I don't think there's many front offices that could be duped into thinking that he's I a great think, defender, yeah. although he's been a lot better this season. Still bad. Uh, yeah, still still bad. It's still something that front offices notice these days. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you. I I think I would probably – be looking to sell as as uh, aggressively as I could right now if I'm the Knicks. You do want to add one more top flight guy to this core, I think. And this is a great draft class to do it. Not only is it the last year with these current lottery rules, um, which favor the, the worst teams, it's also just a loaded draft class with four or five guys at the top that I think could be really good. I, I think there's a lot of teams that have to, Think were about that. You, were Those you two. the
0: anonymous scout who said that to ESPN.com's Mark J. Spears, where each of the top four prospects would have gone first overall in this year's draft? Oh, no, I was not. <laughs> I didn't it's even see like that. was said. That's funny. I'm sorry. Kevin.
1: Uh, maybe I was. I'll, that'll be a mystery for the listeners. I didn't
0: even know you were a scout, so that's impressive.
1: <laughs> I, I live a double life. Um, so, yeah, I would be thinking about tanking right now. I, uh, Like you said, I think Frank nilakina has been – pretty good this year but uh, it there's you still want i think one more core young piece to go with him and porzingis mm-hmm. you want to uh <laughs> i looked this up today too among those same 303 players with 100 minutes this year uh nil is 155th in real plus minus the guy is averaging two two steals a game which is just crazy to me um i want to see how many it is per 36. Averaging three and a half steals per thirty six minutes—that's that's impressive. Dennis Smith is two hundred and sixty sixth in that group.
0: Yeah,
1: uh, look, so he. Neal has been objectively better. Uh, this is a different topic I'm on now, but um, yeah, I'm with you. Let's let's get but, selling.
0: Nila Keen has been a borderline mess on the defensive end. Excuse me, the offensive end. Excuse me. Yeah, he's an okay finisher at the rim, and he looks really smooth when he's operating off the ball. Uh, and I think his jumper will come. He's just getting used to some things, but he, he turns the ball over a lot sometimes. He's very indecisive. He's hesitant to shoot. Those things will be worked out in time, and I'm a, I am like Dennis Smith Jr. I'm fully aware that he could end up being the better pro, the actual superstar prospect. I'm not going to render a verdict on whether the Knicks made a mistake, and even if Dennis Smith Jr. turns into a star, I just think Neil Kiena's play playstyle is a better fit for what the Knicks need around Pozingis yeah. long term. And I—, I um, I'm all for LeBron James taking pot shots at Phil Jackson. Uh, I'm, I'm all here for it, but it's just that one seems like kind of needless because you insulted like Neil Akina in the process. It was
1: really weird to me. So the other thing that I keep thinking about with Neil Akina, um, you know, a lot of draft experts, especially guys who are stats heads, say that steel rate in college is like one of the best predictors of NBA success, um, traditionally. So, to me having a steal rate this good as a rookie for frank milikina i think that that speaks very highly of his future and his potential as a defender there there aren't a lot of um guys who can come in and be a positive defender right off the bat as a rookie so i think there's a lot to like about him
0: right and he's like over the the last seven games is when he's kind of started to play more and it's It's held up like he's averaging 23 plus minutes per game over his last seven. He's shooting under 16 percent from three, which is not ideal, but he's averaging 2.4 steals in those 23.4 minutes per game. So it's like the playing time isn't isn't necessarily hurting his numbers. So this isn't just small burst benefits that we're seeing. Defenses will probably adjust, but he's just super long. And I'm fully aware that offenses might not be used to seeing a guard on the floor who does anything against the pick and roll or ball handlers. So maybe that's inflating his steal numbers a little bit. They're like, "Well, damn, there's someone on the Knicks really challenging us. <laughs> yeah.
1: So I'm with you. Um, I'm, I'm going to say the Knicks should be selling at this point already.
0: The Cavs, too. Uh,
1: yeah, we, we should have thrown them in there. Um, that wraps up our list. I, I think we've hit. Uh, everyone that we had pegged before the uh, podcast unless there was anybody else you were dying to talk about.
0: No, I even threw in a bunch of bonus ones from the Western Conference when we talked about the the Pelicans and the Blazers very
1: briefly. Yeah. Well, uh, that works for me. I think if, uh, if any of you, I, I don't think, I know if any of you want to uh, disagree with us about these buyers and sellers and this overall Should should Teams Be Tanking Yet podcast, you can find us on Twitter. Uh, Dan, of course, is at Dan Favale, F-A-V-A-L-E. I'm at Andrew D. Bailey. The show's at Hardwood Knox. Uh, like Dan said at the beginning, we would really appreciate reviews, uh, subscriptions, tell your friend, rate the podcast, uh, do whatever you can at Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or Blog Talk Radio or wherever you guys listen to us. Uh, be sure to share it. We would really appreciate that. Um, and until next time, we leave you with the shout out to Bino Udri and Kyle Anderson. And now an ad from dad. <clears throat> All right. Save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Can I take these off? All right. What is this? This looks good. Wow. That's what, well man. Where did you get this? I'm talking to you with the hair. Yeah. Where did you get this? It's good stuff. That's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations. And now, an ad from Dad. (coughs) All right. Save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Can I take these off? All right. What is this? This looks good. Wow. That's what. man. Where did you get this? I'm talking to you with the hair. Yeah, where did you get this? It's good stuff. That's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns.
0: Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary,
1: The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, Only on Showtime.